Good afternoon. I'm Callie Crossley. We're looking at the persistence of poverty in America. Today, we describe the class divide with the catch-all 99% versus the 1%. But how deep and extreme is the wealth gap for real? And how is poverty not being talked about on the campaign trail? Peter Edelman is here to address these questions and more. He's an anti-poverty activist and a professor at Georgetown University Law Center. His new book is So Rich, So Poor, why it's so hard to end poverty in America. Peter Edelman, welcome. Thank you. Wonderful to be with you. Thank you. Now, in your book, you talk about a couple of major drivers of poverty, and I wonder if you would talk about that. Recession had a lot to do with it, shrinkage of the safety gap. Just give us a a kind of brief uh, contextual setup, if you would. Things certainly got worse uh, with the recession, and, and, and we can hope that uh, it's not going to last too much longer. So many people around the country are hurting so badly. Uh, but I think the story of poverty today uh, starts really in the 1970s. Uh, and and uh, the principal uh, group in our society that has uh, been hurt by that are children. Uh, in, the, in the early 70s, we... F- changed what we were doing finally about the elderly uh, in terms of indexing Social Security to inflation and uh, the effect of Medicare, the SSI, uh, which is uh, supplementary social insurance. And uh, so now the elderly are the the least poor group in the society. Uh, At the same time, all of those good jobs that we remember in the Industrial plants went away either to other countries or or to technology. And for 40 years, we've had uh, just this glut of low-wage jobs. And and wages for people have been stuck at a very low level, the entire lower half, not not just uh, poor people. Um, And uh, that's particularly tough on single moms, uh, any place where there's only one uh, parent with kids. Uh, so it's just really hard. Your listeners obviously know this uh, to make ends meet if you just have a, one of these low-wage jobs. So that's a big thing, the changes in family structure and particularly the changes in the labor market. And then add to that, in the last 16 years, we've had the new welfare law, uh, which uh, President Clinton signed into law in 1996 temporary assistance to needy families, it's called. And that's caused the bottom to drop out of the safety net. And we now have uh, people who have these incredibly low incomes, below half the poverty line, below 9,000 for a family uh, of three. So that's the story leading into the recession. Uh, The recession has been horrible. We had uh, an addition of six more poor million more poor people after President Clinton left office, and then 9 million more uh, with the recession. And we're still up at 46 million people who are poor. What does uh, poverty look like uh, in this country? Would you define it for us? I mean, because I think uh, various images come to mind uh, among all of us if we think about who is poor. What, what does it look like today? It, it looks like all different kinds of people, really. Uh, in cash terms, just so we have this uh, in our minds as we're talking, the poverty line is $18,000 for a family of three, 22000 for a family of four, really unrealistically low uh, in terms of any reasonable cost of what it costs to live. But it's people, the, the largest number of people who are poor are white. Uh, And then uh, African-American, Latino, Native American are disproportionately poor. So white people, only 10 percent of them are poor, but they're still the largest number, whereas uh, the minorities that I mentioned, 27 percent. That's a problem, special uh, problem. Uh, It includes uh, people who are in inner cities, uh, suburbs. 53% 53% increase in the last decade in people who live in the suburbs uh, and are poor. Uh, people who uh, have some disabilities. Uh, people in rural areas, the Mississippi Delta, uh, Indian reservations, the Colonias and in South uh, Texas. Uh, still a lot of elderly poor even though they're the least poor group. And of course, uh, children, so many children are poor. 
If you were to give a, a kind of model profile understanding that you've just outlined, there are some differences in groups of poor people, uh, you know, give me a sense of, of, of what, you know, pick one of the persons and say, what are they doing every day to survive? What does their, what does their life look like? The most uh, typical would be uh, understanding that there are all those differences. The one thing I did not say a minute ago is that most of the poor are getting uh, some of their income from work. Uh, I think the general impression that people have uh, is that uh, people who are poor are what they're doing all day is nothing. It's absolutely not uh, the case. Uh, and, And so there's a small number, really small now, who get cash assistance um, and that's shrunk down to to a little over 4 million people in the whole country, uh, less than a percentage, less than one and a half percentage points of the people in the country. So uh, 60% of the money that's coming in to poor people is from work. Uh, and so what uh, the typical, if there is such a thing, mm-hmm. a poor person uh, is doing um, is is actually trying very hard to make ends meet, uh, finding only, especially now, uh, only uh, part-time jobs or jobs that come and go, seasonal, uh, that kind of thing. Or day laborer or something. Day like laborer, mm-hmm. yes, or, or uh, people who work, uh, agricultural workers. Uh, yes, all, all of that. Now, uh, there are uh, also people who don't have an income. Um, but even there, they're uh, mostly people who are between jobs, hmm. who their unemployment compensation has run out or they weren't eligible in the first place uh, because, in fact, uh, our system, unemployment compensation, is very spotty. Uh, so there are people who are in a temporary spell of poverty. Again, the stereotype is this is, this is somebody who's uh, the same all the time. Uh, and of course, there's a racial stereotype uh, that that uh, I think if people uh, you ask someone kind of the prototypical person on the street, uh, their images of an African American uh, woman uh, who lives in the inner city, the, the kind of Ronald Reagan image uh, of poverty, and of course that's very far from the truth uh, in terms of the numbers of people who are poor and especially the numbers of people who are persistently poor. So let's talk about some of those numbers. And and I should say that your book, uh, So Rich, So Poor, Why It's So Hard to End Poverty in America, uh, has many, many numbers in it. There's a lot of stats and some of them I'm going to pull out as we go, but I don't want people to get to drown in them, and nor do I want us to drown in that conversation uh, around those numbers. But I do think it's important, uh, a couple things you've said that just stood out to me. You know, I'm accustomed to reading wherever I read it. I guess it's a government uh, uh, pamphlet or information that says, okay, this, there are this many people below the poverty line. I have no reason to doubt that that's the number. But what you've said is that that number is way off and that there are many, many more people in there because the way that the number is factored in does not take into account, and I find this incredulous, uh, increases in utilities and housing and health care and food, you know, all the stuff that the rest of us have to take into account in living, that's not taken into account. So somehow these numbers, they, they come up with this number. And there, it clearly cannot be correct if that if these factors are not included. That's absolutely true. Uh, although, since we have a little time to go into this, but without getting too far into the weeds, the traditional poverty measure also doesn't count uh, all of the income. Hmm. It doesn't count food stamps. It doesn't count the earned income tax credit. It doesn't count things that are not cash and uh, the earned income tax credit. It counts after tax and not before tax. So, so. Uh, you have to look at both sides of it. We have a new measure that uh, actually takes the number up from 46 million to 49 million uh, when it factors in both the amount of income and uh, what it actually uh, uh, costs to live. Now, it's a very cautious number and the even with the 49 million, there are lots of people who are having a very, very tough time. Uh, who are working as hard as they can. Uh, the research shows that the the number to keep in mind, not for poverty, but for just difficulty making ends meet, is about twice the poverty line. So, uh, again, not wanting to get hmm. 
swamped by the numbers. Yes. But 44,000 for a family of four is twice the poverty line. There are 103 million people. A third of the people in our country have these very, very low wages. So that's another set to keep in mind are people who are above the poverty line. Don't but, right think on, of, but right on the line, really, if they yeah. could get pushed over quite easily. Well, that's true. A lot <laughs> of them are right on the line and go in and out. Mm-hmm. Uh, but uh, they're having a very, very tough time, and they don't think of themselves as poor. Uh, but we sure don't pay enough attention to them, and their general feeling is, uh, I got here where I am, kind of my own fault. I didn't do well enough. When in fact, the real problem uh, in that area, and even for many of the poor, is the job market is so flawed. So many low wage jobs, and that's for people who are working. We just want to make clear that these are people who are working who are still. Just dangling above that line. Uh, uh, Absolutely. So, sixty percent of the money that comes in to 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 poor people is from work. So, uh, to, as we continue, how does a safety net help us? And um, what is the difference between poverty and extreme poverty? We're going to talk about that as we continue our conversation. We're talking about poverty in America and about. <clears throat> How we got here, about extreme poverty, how we got here, and what we need to do to get out of this. You can join the conversation at 877-301-8970, 877-301-8970. You've heard Peter Edelman define poverty in the 21st century. How do you? Where do you see it? What does it look like? 877-301-8970, 877-301-8970. You can write to our Facebook page or send us a tweet at Callie Crossley. My guest is Peter Edelman. We're talking about his new book, So Rich, So Poor. You're listening to WGBH, Boston Public Radio. Funding for our programs comes from you and Harvard Vanguard Medical Associates, offering complete health care for you and your family. With 21 locations across greater Boston, Harvard Vanguard welcomes new patients and accepts most insurance. CareMadeEasy.org, an affiliate of Atrius Health. And Skinner Auctioneers and Appraisers, presenting their auction of fine jewelry on Tuesday, June 12th at Skinner's Boston Gallery. Offering diamonds, natural pearls, colored stones, and signed pieces. Online bidding available at SkinnerInc.com. And from members of the Great Blue Hill Society, whose estate and planned giving arrangements to WGBH create a lasting legacy and ensure public media for generations to come. What will your legacy be? Next time on The World, journalist Steve Cole says ExxonMobil should stop coddling African dictators and start demanding that they share oil profits with their people. Standard operating procedures are just not acceptable. But ExxonMobil says, wait a minute. We cannot be expected to be the United Nations. That would not be uh, true to our shareholders. Big Oil in West Africa, next time on The World. Coming up at 3 here on 89.7 WGBH. Hi, my name is Maya, and I'm a WGBH sustainer. Sustainers like Maya break their gifts down into monthly installments that automatically renew. That helps 89.7 plan better, and better plans means fewer fundraisers. And that's why Maya's responsible for this hour of programming coming to you fundraiser free. Thanks, Maya. Yeah, you too. Join Maya by supporting 89.7 as a sustainer online at WGBH.org. Great question. That is a great question. And that's a great question. It's a great question. What a great question. On Fresh Air, you'll hear unexpected questions and unexpected answers. This afternoon at 2 here on 89.7 WGBH. Welcome back to the Callie Crossley Show. If you're just tuning in, we're talking about poverty in America, about how deep poverty is today and what extreme poverty looks like in the 21st century. My guest is Peter Edelman. His new book is So Rich, So Poor, Why It's So Hard to End Poverty in America. You can join the conversation at 877-301-8970, 877-301-8970. Are you worse off than your parents were? Do you think of yourself as poor? 
Can we reverse poverty? And do you think the situation is hopeless? 877-301-8970, 877-301-8970. You can write to our Facebook page or send me a tweet at Callie Crossley. Now, Peter Edelman, one of the things that you emphasize over and over as we talk about the numbers having grown for various factors, uh, because of various factors, is that the safety net has been crucial in keeping more people from going into poverty. So those uh, folks that you talked about who are in low-wage jobs, who are barely making it, who are not officially below the poverty line, but a good push they'd be over, are often being saved by the safety net. And one of the biggest ones is food stamps. Can you talk about that? Uh, Yes. Uh, Well, Kelly, if I could just back Mm. up a little bit about the safety net. Ronald Reagan once said famously uh, that we fought a war on poverty and poverty won. That is not true. Uh, We have – you mentioned food stamps. uh, Start with Social Security. Uh, That's the biggest piece of the safety net. Uh, Of course, people have worked for that and earned it through their working life. Also, the earned income tax credit and many, many other things. Total, keeping 40 million people out of poverty right now who would otherwise be in poverty. So we have 46 million poor. We would have 86 million poor. So we have a safety net, but it has a huge hole in it uh, at the bottom. Uh, We're not doing as well as we should to get more income to those struggling people who are working, who are uh, barely in poverty or somewhat above it. But where we've really fallen down most spectacularly uh, is at the bottom. We now have 20.5 million people who have incomes below half the poverty line, below 9,000 for a family of three. And we actually have one more number right now, mm-hmm. uh, 6 million people whose only income is from food stamps. So your question was about food stamps as part of the safety net. It's, it's so important uh, because in this recession, it really, really helped people uh, all the way to the bottom but all the way up into uh, adding to unemployment compensation for people who would lost their jobs. So we went from – 26 million to 46 million people on food stamps. It's a huge increase. Why? Because there is a legal right to get it. You go to the food stamp office, they have to give it to you. And so people uh, who had not been poor came and got help and people who were very poor got help. The problem at the very bottom is what's happened uh, about cash assistance to mothers, what we call welfare, mm-hmm. uh, the technical name now, technic- uh, temporary assistance to needy families, t- TANF. That has practically disappeared uh, in about half the states, uh, really more than that in the country. But in half the states, 25 states, the number of poor children who are getting help, and that means their moms and themselves, is under 20% of the poor children in the state. It's, it's unbelievable. Mm. Uh, Wyoming takes the, the, the cake on it, wins the prize on it. 617 people in the entire state, 4% of the poor children, are receiving cash assistance. So no wonder you have 6 million people who only have food stamps. That's a terrible problem. We don't want people mm. to stay on welfare. We want people to be working. We want to help them get jobs. But if they can't find a job, if, if they have issues to deal with, there really has to be a safety net. All right. Steve from Sudbury, go ahead, please. You're on the Cali Crossley Show, WGBH 89.7. I think uh, your guest is right on here. And uh, here's why. You know, 69,000 jobs created last month. Well, what kind of jobs were they? Let me get right down to it. Were they eight dollar an hour jobs? Mm. Um, you know who's tracking that, and I'll bet they were, and I'll bet your guests would agree with that. There, there, there's no um, hard to explain. Um, you know, if you're in construction, for instance, uh, it's very hard to find work, and. Um, you know, you're working for a lot less than you used to be, and you can't pay your bills. Well, um, in fact, Steve, uh, that was one of the sectors that, that the economists noted had been especially hard hit with the release of these, with the, those job figures of the 69,000 to which you refer last Friday. Where are you seeing uh, poverty now? Because you're calling to agree with Peter Edelman. Well, seeing uh, 
lot of my friends were losing their houses that are in construction. Uh, I came from California, and, um, you know, it's a lot worse out there. Um, one of the real things is, real questions is, you know, what are the real unemployment numbers? Because, mm-hmm. you know, uh, people fall off the rolls after 90 days, I believe it is. Um, you know, I don't think the unemployment numbers are real, and I don't think that, uh, you know, what happened to shovel-ready jobs? What right. happened to uh, highway construction? Got it. Um, you know, roads need to be fixed. I don't see anything happening. I wonder what your guest would have to say to that. So well, I'm going to ask him right now, Steve, on your behalf. Thank you so much Take for care. the call. Take care, Mike. All right. Well, thanks, Steve. That's that's a lot of things. Um, first of all, uh, about the low wages. Uh, this, of course, is pervasive uh, even when we don't have the current problems uh, of the recession. Uh, the median job in this country, Kelly, that means half the jobs pay below this, is $34,000 a year. I mean, it's really surprising. Uh, And a quarter of the jobs pay less than the poverty line for a family of four, less than $22,000. So just to to, uh, underline what, what Steve said, if you are a home health aide, the average wage for home health aides in the country is below the poverty line for a family of four. Uh, if you work with children in child care, the average wage is below the poverty line for the family of three, below 18000 So this is a very, very widespread uh, problem. And if you work in construction as Steve does, then you're doing kind of project by project. If, you, if there is no work, then you're there you are. Right. And under, <laughs> underline what Steve said about the jobs that are coming back are coming back at lower wages than they used to pay. That's true. Uh, look at the manufacturing jobs that are coming back. They're almost uniformly coming back at a lower wage than, than was true before. So the low wage problem is actually, uh, I think, going forward getting worse. Uh, can I mention a couple more things? Let me let me take Steve uh, uh, from Cambridge, another Steve, and then you know add on to it if he if he wants to follow. Sure, uh, Steve from Cambridge, go ahead, please. You're on the Cali Crossley Show, eighty nine point seven. Uh, good afternoon, Cali Peter. Mm-hmm. Um, oh, you're Peter, not Steve. Sorry. No, no, no I'm Steve. No, oh, you're talking speaking to, to Peter. Peter. <laughs> gotcha. <laughs> go ahead. All right, Peter. Listen, I <laughs> firmly understand that there's a tremendous amount of poverty in this country and that there are many people who are working for jobs that really don't pay enough for people to live. At the same time, being in Cambridge, being in an urban environment, and I'm happy to say having what I consider to be a a, a large diversity of friends, I know women who won't get married because they will stay eligible for benefits without getting married. I know people who are on disability who could work uh, but wouldn't work because if they did, they would lose their benefits, and I don't think they really want to work. So while you say that you do want people to get off welfare and you want these things to be temporary, I do think there is a problem that we do all have to acknowledge, uh, that human nature is such that when you make when you give people uh, a lot of benefits, people are going to tend to abuse them, and they're going to become uh, settled with those, and they will work as a disincentive. How do you address that problem? Peter? I think that's one of the really important questions that we have to talk about honestly. Uh, these These stories are somewhat uh, anecdotal. Uh, Who is not willing to get married uh, right now so they can keep their welfare benefits? Well, you know, welfare benefits are time-limited and and, uh, they they don't pay very much. And and so it it strikes me that that story, which we hear a lot, uh, is probably true in some cases. But the much bigger thing is who's out there, who's marriageable, and uh, what's the what what's the job situation that's available? A lot of the people who are taking disability now, now maybe I'm just talking now and, and not at the top of, of prosperity, but they're uh, 50 to 60 
four-year-old men uh, who can't get another job and they were a police officer or a firefighter or something else where they can get uh, disability and uh, it becomes uh, an income support thing for them. So the stories are there's dueling stories. Mm -hmm. But uh, what we haven't done successfully, particularly with welfare, is to draw that line so the safety net works, but the incentive is always in the favor that you can do better if you have a job, provided a job is available. And uh, what happened with the 1996 laws, we fell off the cliff the other way. Uh, we just said all over the country to the states and gave them complete legal power to do so. There's no legal right to get welfare anywhere. Uh, just lower those roles. We went from 14 million people uh, – Generally, this is women and children we're talking about, down to under uh, 4 million people. Uh, so that meant in state after state, it's just, it's just not available uh, at all. So we, we just blew it in the other direction. 14 million was too high because we weren't helping people and pushing people uh, to, to go to work. Uh, there are many, many more mothers and children who have need than, than 4 million. We need to find the middle. Uh, where we provide the help, but we also provide the support, uh, the push and the support so women uh, who are on welfare can get uh, a, a job and keep it, have the child care and all the other things they need to keep it. You're listening to 89.7 WGBH and online at WGBH.org. We're talking about poverty in America. My guest is Peter Edelman. His new book is So Rich, So Poor, Why Ending Poverty in America is So Hard. You can join the conversation at 877-301-8970, 877-301-8970. Or you can write to our Facebook page or send me a tweet at Callie Crossley. So Stephen Cambridge uh, raises a point. I mean, he's very reasonable. I know some people who I think are scamming. I know other people really also need this. But what you have talked about in your book is poverty becoming the P word uh, in that a lot of people, the overwhelming public perception by many is that it's a big scam and that most people are not doing anything except sitting at home collecting a check. Uh, and that is really a hard perception for some people to walk away from. I will say here in Massachusetts, a big argument, discussion in the legislature that resulted in or will result in, there may be still some con con uh, conversation about it, uh, removing the cash assistance part of the EBT cards, those are the food stamp cards, because some people did scam the system. It became quite spectacular and people were furious, particularly people who are struggling, not in poverty per se, but hey, they can't they're they're just trying to put food on the table themselves and you can understand that but at the same time you know it's a hard thing uh with since you know uh by virtue of having worked in this field and looked at the numbers and seen the people that there really is a need and i'm i'm not quite sure what one says you've said something just now but to get people away from the from the persistent perception that there is an overwhelming scam to this Forty-six million people in poverty, and and uh, that's probably a little bit low for what who really is. Forty-six million people are scamming. Uh, Twenty million people who have who are in deep poverty. Uh, Twenty million people are scamming. Uh, all of the children who are poor are they scamming? All of their mothers are scamming. It just doesn't add up. It doesn't make sense, particularly because what you can get now with the changes that we've made, if you have no work and you, and you have no unemployment compensation or uh, it's run out, uh, is only food stamps. You can't – the number of people in the whole country who can get cash assistance is 1.5 percent of the American people. So what's the scam? Who's doing the scamming? Sure, there are individual cases. There are people who are selling food stamp uh, benefits. Why? Because, gosh, they only have food stamps and what are they going to do to get a little bit of money to pay for some of the other things that so they can at least barely exist? So what we have to get out there are the actual numbers. The amount of fraud that there is, uh, everything we know uh, on these things, very, very low. Uh, every time you get an example of somebody who was scamming, it just messes it up for everybody. So describe what is the difference between poverty and extreme poverty. 
what, 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 where, how is that different? The line that we have, just a federal statistical line for what we call extreme poverty or deep poverty, uh, is at 50 percent of the poverty line. So uh, we're talking 9,000 for a family of three, 18,000, uh, uh, 11,000 for a family of four. And uh, so that's the arithmetical line. But what that's poverty. That's not extreme poverty. That is extreme poverty. Extreme poverty. Below okay. nine thousand right. okay. for a family of okay. three, eleven thousand for a family of four. Okay. Uh, so that's what I was talking about. Mm-hmm. Twenty million people. Mm-hmm. Now, uh, if we're since we're going into a little more detail, there are some public benefits that help reduce that. Mm-hmm. Uh, if somebody has food stamps, that takes it down a little. If they have, if they have some work and they have earned income tax credit, it takes it down a little. You're still still talking fourteen million people. Um, Who are they? Well, they're disproportionately in the South. Uh, They're disproportionately children. Uh, They're disproportionately people of color, African-American, Latino, Native American. Uh, They uh, tend to be less in cities. I think that was a surprise for me. There are a lot of lot of poverty in suburbs now. People mm-hmm. don't know that. Yep, yep. Well, yeah. That's that's mm-hmm. true. Fifty percent, fifty three percent increase in in poverty in the suburbs. That's true. But um, it's it's somebody who just gets to the point where they've got nothing, uh, and the the one thing they may have is food stamps, uh, and they just. Struggle, you know, they they move from somebody's house to somebody else. Some their homelessness, family homelessness is up, um, and they take the kids and they couch surf, and then they can't stay at that place uh, any longer because it just doesn't work, and, and so they find another place temporarily. It's terrible for the children, uh, and to have seven million uh, of those who are in deep poverty uh, be mothers and children is it's just tragic because the damage that's being done to the kids is is just awful. In an industrialized country, that's that's what I think is hard for a lot of people to reconcile. Uh, let me take this call. Bob from Brookline, go ahead, please. You're on the Callie Crossley Show, 89.7. Thank you very much, Kelly and uh, Peter. I, I just wanted to say, from the society's perspective, you know, God, God forbid the society uh, is not held, uh, employers are not held accountable uh, for uh, you know hiring people you know would that everybody um uh, that that employers were were held to the same excruciating standard as the individuals who are out of work you try to find work and you know you've got these software things you write your resume you write it this way you write it that way you get help from different organizations and then you send in your resume and then some software has filtered you out before anybody's mm-hmm. even taken the trouble to look at your resume and you know what about that fireman the, the policeman that you mentioned earlier i mean how is it possible you know to have, for these people to have all this experience and then they're not even considered at the top of the list for for work, so I mean the idea that people don't want to work—that's just that's that's nonsense. I mean, what about the the employers? They don't want to hire. They want like you know whatever. It's it's like a game, but it's a deadly game, and it's costing everybody you know their well-being. Do you see uh, Bob uh, poverty where you are? Yeah, sometimes. Mm-hmm. What does it look like to you? Well, you know, it's people on short on you know not. They get unemployment. They don't necessarily, uh, you know, they run out of benefits and things like that. Yeah. All right. But it's just just the idea that, you know, you you lose work for the first time in your life. You're stunned. You don't know what to do. And then they start herding you around like cattle and make you feel like like, you know, you've done some terrible thing. And, you know, and then you apply for positions and nobody will even call you back. They don't even have the respect. They have a job and they don't even have the respect for the job to actually do the job. They go get some software to just filter you out like you don't even count. I hear you, Bob. Thank you so much for the call. But thank you. Well, Uh, 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 Callie, uh, why are they doing this filtering, Mm -hmm. uh, which is certainly not done uh, in some rigorous careful way, it's because there aren't enough jobs. Uh, it, it's as, as simple as that. And so now uh, we're finding all over the country, if somebody has been uh, in j- jail or prison, uh, 
uh, and we have all people saying, well, we have to help ex-offenders. They're now filtering out people who have an arrest and weren't even convicted mm. in that computer program that, that he's talking about. Secondly, uh, people do get uh, uh, low-wage jobs, and this this happens particularly to people who are in the country who uh, are not here legally. Wage theft, huge, huge problem where the employer doesn't pay the minimum wage, uh, doesn't pay for overtime, doesn't pay at all sometimes, billions and billions of dollars, and just preying on these people, P-R-E-Y. Now, uh, one of the Steves talked about the real unemployment numbers. Mm. They're way higher uh, than than the eight percent that we read about. The, the discouraged workers uh, who just uh, aren't even looking anymore. The people who are part time and can't find a job. We're talking about unemployment that's way closer to double the eight percent than it is to the eight uh, percent. One of the Steves asked about shovel ready jobs. Mm-hmm. It's still true that we missed a boat. At the beginning of the Obama administration, and the boat is still missing right now, about public employment for people who can't find work. Not as an ongoing thing, Mm -hmm. but let's help people out of this mess that we're in. Um, Speaking to the unemployment uh, issues that many of the callers have raised, I got this tweet from State Representative Dan Winslow. He says, I see poverty in the eyes of suburban voters who have been out of work for two plus years and who don't know where to turn. So a lot of our comments today are coming from people who recognize that the beginning of the unraveling of financial security and the slide toward poverty begins with this unemployment that goes on forever. The reality is so different from the stereotype. Uh, and that comment uh, just just totally is is one example of how the reality is so much different. So the conversation continues with Peter Edelman because um, why does a guy who's a professor at Georgetown University care about this so much? Why is he talking about poverty? And why is nobody else talking about it? I'm talking to Peter Edelman. He's a professor of law at Georgetown University Law Center. We're discussing his book, So Rich, So Poor, Why Ending Poverty in America is So Hard. Join us at 877-301-8970, 877-301-8970. Have you been saved by the safety net, any part of it? Do you know that you are just one hair's breadth above the poverty line because of it? Call us at 877-301-8970, 877-301-8970. Are you struggling so much you can't think about somebody else being in poverty? Give us a call. You're listening to WGBH, Boston Public Radio. WGBH programs exist because of you and Harvard Extension School, offering more than 150 online courses from neurobiology to the Civil War. Information session Wednesday, June 13th. You can learn more at extension.harvard.edu. And Concord Lamp and Shade. If one of my colleagues in another business asked me about sponsoring programming on GBH, I would answer very positively. Ann Eckert, owner. If their customer base is anything like the customer base that's being served by Concord Lamp and Shade, there is no doubt in my mind that they would benefit. To learn how WGBH can benefit your business, visit wgbh.org sponsorship. On the next Fresh Air, we talk with Nobel Prize-winning economist Joseph Stiglitz, author of The Price of Inequality. He argues that widely unequal societies don't function efficiently, their economies aren't stable or sustainable, and even the rich will pay a steep price if economic inequality continues to worsen. Join us. This afternoon at 2, here on 89.7 WGBH. The WGBH Spring Auction has gone into extra innings. Bid high on a trip for two to the Windy City, the Aegean Sea, the Caribbean, or to any other JetBlue destination. You might even find yourself with tickets to see the New England Patriots take on the Miami Dolphins. Be a hometown hero. Support public broadcasting and secure a great deal all at the same time. It's easy to do at auction.wgbh.org. The food truck has taken big cities by storm, changing what we've come to expect from food on the go. 
I'm Christina Quinn. Hear how the food truck boom is changing the way we eat and why other Massachusetts towns and cities want in. Tomorrow on WGBH's Morning Edition. Welcome back to the Callie Crossley Show. If you're just tuning in, my guest is Peter Edelman. He's a longtime anti-poverty activist. He's seen it all from extreme poverty in the Deep South to how policymakers talk about poverty in the Oval Office. His new book is So Rich, So Poor, Why It's So Hard to End Poverty in America. Join us at 877-301-8970, 877-301-8970. Uh, Peter Edelman, I, before we went to break, I... We, Wanted, I mentioned your background in this because a lot of people might wonder why you are concentrating on this subject that many people run away from. But you did start out with Robert Kennedy touring the South and seeing the face of poverty up close and personal. Is this why you care so much about it now and why it's become your life's work? Uh, in a word, yes. Uh, I w- worked for Robert Kennedy the whole time that he was in the Senate uh, and he um, – cared very deeply about issues of poverty and race uh, in our country uh, as well as people who were disenfranchised uh, all over the world, South Africa, Latin America and so on. And it was, uh, I can only say, an enormous privilege to go with him. Uh, The way he learned about things was to go out and listen to people, to meet them, to to, – hear from them and see what their problems were. And so I had the learning experience and the and the really uh, tremendously scarring, I should say, deeply, deeply affecting uh, experience of, of seeing what goes on in our, in our country, uh, especially in Mississippi where I did meet my wife and who's uh, kept me, uh, Marion Wright Edelman, who's the head of the Children's Defense Fund, uh, who keeps me also on on the good path. Uh, so uh, I, in some sort of inarticulate way, I would say when uh, RFK died, I kind of made a commitment to stay at this. Uh, and uh, a lot of things happened accidentally along the way that, that have kept me at it. And, and so now, by now, I'm, I'm totally here for the duration. So in 1996, you were working for President Clinton and you felt so strongly about what you knew or felt would be an underpinning of the safety net if the Welfare Reform Act was signed into law by him, that you resigned in protest. It was signed into law. We're years after that. And yet in your book, uh, and and you say in your book you feel that, you know, your, your predictions unfortunately did come true, you're still very much a supporter of public policy as a way to begin, not everything, but a way to begin to address this issue. I'm in favor of everything that we need to do. Uh, public policy is a major part of it. We can't do it without public policy. Uh, that's everything from public schools that educate our children. That's public policy uh, and including uh, preschool, early child development on up so that children grow up to have a, a chance uh, to have an opportunity. Uh, it takes public policy to enforce, enforce laws against uh, race discrimination. Uh, there's a long list of things that are uh, about uh, giving people a, a chance and an opportunity. But I'm also in favor of communities taking responsibility, civic responsibility, people helping on an individual basis uh, to to tutor and to mentor and anything else that people can do individually. Uh, within poverty communities, communities of color, wherever they are uh, – Leaders in those communities, faith leaders, other leaders in those communities taking responsibility for for standing for values of, of, of personal responsibility and of making uh, something of oneself. So this is a this has to be uh, an all out effort that that is public and private, that's national and local, uh, that gets to every family to take responsibility as well, but to be supportive so people can have a chance. Um, as I've said, you're an anti-poverty activist. You're a professor and a lawyer. Uh, today, Joseph Stiglitz, arguably one of the world's best-known economists, uh, came out with his new book called The Price of Inequality. And he focuses on uh, a, a piece uh, – his whole book is about something that you very much emphasize in your book, and that is the income gap and its uh, detrimental effect on – in your case, you're looking at it through its impact on poverty. Um, 
just to put people in mind of what we're talking about, in your book you say income at the bottom 20% grew just 18% in the last 28 years and at the top 1%, 275%. And Joseph Stiglitz this morning on the program Morning Joe made this point. People in the top cannot begin to realize uh, anything unless they understand we are all in the same boat if we don't invest in education, health care. And it is, he went on to say, in their enlightened self-interest for us all to do better. And by that, he said, he did not mean trickle down. It meant that people at various economic stratas had to come up in order for people even at the top to be able to enjoy and be economically secure in their wealth. <laughs> There's a very simple point here, Callie, beyond the moral question of having this much distance between the top and the bottom and the functioning uh, of a democracy uh, when there's so much political power that corporations and, and wealthy individuals uh, have uh, over everything. Uh, all of that is, is uh, very corrosive. But it is uh, in the self-interest of companies that produce goods and services to have consumers who have the ability to buy those products. Franklin Roosevelt said that during the New Deal. He was right. It's, and, of course, it's always right. And But we've gotten to the point now where – and you make it clear that you're not about a, a class warfare, but that somehow it, it, to ask uh, – that the, the wealth gap, that as huge as it is, is becoming a new norm, if you will. Class warfare is is a red herring that uh, people on uh, one side of the political spectrum always throw into it. The minute you say, well, uh, people at the top ought to pay the, their fair share uh, in, in running this country, oh, that's class warfare. Well, it isn't. Uh, the fact is that people at the top benefit enormously from the – what this country is giving them that it should give them, the infrastructure that allows them to succeed and, and uh, to uh, amass great resources. And they ought to pay for the chance that they've had to do that. So when when we get this uh, Grover Norquist, make the government smaller than a bathtub, drown, drown the government in a bathtub, uh, just the, there's a very simple answer to any proposal that there be more taxes to do the things that we need to do. The answer is no. We can't go on like this. Uh, Ed from Gloucester, go ahead, please. You're on the Cali Crossley yes. Show. Hi. Good afternoon. Um, I have a comment. The one of the biggest debts we have is with student college loans. And when I was a Navy officer, they had doctors and nurses serving their country and having basically their your cost uh, paid for by the government. Why can't we do the same with a lot of these college students that can't get jobs, uh, allow them to get their loans paid off by the federal government, of which they have the loan with, and serve in things like the Hydrographic Service, National Marine Fisheries, Peace Corps, other organizations. I had daughters serving in the Peace Corps, mm -hmm. and they work for basically very little, but they have housing and food, and they're serving their country. And I feel as though... Uh, whether they're Republican or Democrat, they've got to get this together for young students All right. uh, who have debt. Uh, thanks I'd like for, to have Mr. Edelman's thoughts on that. Absolutely. Thanks very much for the call, Ed. Ed, 100 percent agreed. Uh, we've had the National Health Service Corps since 1965. Uh, where young people uh, in return for uh, committing themselves to serve in rural areas, medically underserved areas, um, get their uh, medical education p paid for. We did it briefly for teachers in the 60s and we stopped doing it, uh, young people who would go into teaching the way we do with Teach for America, which is somewhat federally funded. Uh, this is a terrific idea and uh, we just – need to get these things out on the table, talk about them. Uh, I'm 100 percent for that. You know, as as dense as your book is with these somewhat grim statistics in various areas, um, very carefully laid out, you at the end, surprisingly, maybe to some say, but you're very optimistic that this can be handled. We're talking about poverty here. So talk to me about why you're optimistic. For a couple of reasons. Uh, one is that uh, we've had uh, times somewhat parallel to this uh, in the past and we've gotten through them. Uh, I think the closest analogy uh, is at the end of the Gilded Age at the turn of the 20th century. 
when uh, you had quite a parallel thing with the captains of industry and the bankers and, and all of that having enormous power, and the country rose up and essentially changed public policy to make them much more uh, accountable. So I think that's possible. I think that we – I hope that we started moving in that direction with Occupy. Occupy itself is somewhat fizzled. But uh, to get out there in a way we haven't for a long time, uh, the the fact that the 1% is in a very different place from the other 99%. Uh, so I think the basic point uh, of of people – finally getting themselves sufficiently uh, concerned about what's happening that they participate politically uh, on a continuing basis. And the other is if you look at what we've done over the last uh, 50 years uh, about these issues, we've done a lot. It isn't as though nobody cared about poverty or nobody legislated about poverty, uh, whether it's uh, Social Security beginning back in the New Deal or, or – uh, all of the food stamps and, and uh, the earned income tax credit, help with housing, help with going to college, all of those things that we've done, we have 40 million people who we save from poverty every year. The problem is that we're not standing up and being clear about what's happened to the economy that's caused so many people at the bottom to be stuck there and with wages that are so low and haven't grown at all in 40 years. Uh, so uh, I think that we know – that we uh, can get things done and I think if we are clear about what the problems are and what the agenda is that we can get uh, people to, to uh, participate in, in making a difference and particularly the people who are those workers who think that it's those low-wage workers who think that it's their fault in some way or that nothing can be done. There are things we can do, and if they would see that politically and vote in that way, it would make a huge difference. So with seconds to go, will we hear the P word among uh, between the presidential candidates this year? Will there be some serious attention paid to poverty issues? I think President Obama's done a lot for low-income people, and I, I really do hope that he will differentiate himself from his opponent, uh, Governor Romney, by saying that what he's talking about, about the middle class, goes for everybody all the way down to the bottom. All right. Thank you so much, Peter Edelman, for a rich conversation. We've been talking about poverty in America with Peter Edelman. He's a professor of law at Georgetown University Law Center. His new book is So Rich, So Poor, Why It's So Hard to End Poverty in America. You can keep on top of the Callie Crossley Show at WGBH.org slash Callie Crossley. You can follow us on Twitter or become a fan of the Callie Crossley Show on Facebook. Today's show was engineered by Antonio Oliart, produced by Chelsea Murs, Will Roselip, and Abby Ruzica. Our intern is Sloan Paiva. We're a production of WGBH Boston Public Radio.